Thanks, PZ. I'm excited to be here. And I like conversation style because I don't get to sit and have conversation with you very often anymore. So I'm not saying move back because I know you have a mission here. So I have to come here to have conversation, but I'm not moving here. <laughs> it's almost January. <laughs> but you will come when it's cold, maybe once, just to try it out. Just once? No. no. <laughs> she said Christmas is her cutoff day. It is. Yeah. So you've been doing a lot of traveling lately, right? Yeah. And uh, the Lord's just using you to speak prophetically to so many different people, entrepreneurs and influential people in the kingdom of God. Um, so you're seeing what the Lord is doing abroad in the church and uh, through his people. Yes. And I would love to, maybe we, let's just talk about what do you think um, is happening right now? And I, and I would love if, if you feel anything um, prophetic to speak into us as a family mm -hmm. and as uh, to our city, our region, mm -hmm. and what the Lord has for us. Uh, we love your family so much. And I was telling some people, it was one of the reasons why it was so hard to say yes to the Lord to come here. Um, so anytime we get to see you, whether we're going to Vegas or have you out here, it is such an honor. And I have to just start by saying your prophetic voice uh, in our lives has got us through. Amen. So many valleys. Rochelle knows so many valleys. And thank you for being bold and loving. And uh, man, I just, I honor you. I honor who you are. And you're such a gift to us and the body. And I'm, I'm saying this not to just act like a sentimental pastor, but that you would open your heart to honor the gift that she is. Because when you honor a prophet in the name of a prophet, you receive a prophet's reward. And there's a grace on the life of uh, God's people. And when we honor who they are, we value, esteem who they are, we receive that reward. So I'm so thankful. What is the Lord doing and saying in this hour? What's on your heart? After you made me cry, <laughs> I didn't get my words. Um, it's, y'all, the world is getting so much more brighter. There's so much more hope, such a greater awareness of God's goodness, of his presence, and the reality of it is just expanding across the globe. And um, this year has been a year of travel, and I think we've been in every continent this year except for Antarctica, because who would? Um, <laughs> and Asia because I, I wasn't able to because some things transpired with deaths in my family so we missed we had to miss that time but um, a few months ago I think it was in September even this is how good God is and how far the kingdom is expanding because sometimes we live in a paradox of God is good until we watch the news and you know and he's faithful until the mortgage comes Kleenex, thank you because Zach has wrecked me um, thank you. And so uh, we live in these, this kind of paradox, right? And we live in, in, in our own world. And sometimes we get to see the world from our view. And sometimes one of the greatest things that I think I had to come to a realization of is I didn't actually have a clear world view. I had an American view of the world. So of course, we're the barometer for everything, right? 
just like we think until we go other places. But we were had the honor of being in Hungary this year in Budapest. And did y'all know, listen how good God is, because this is, this is a prototype of what's coming. Hungary, the nation of Hungary has set aside governmental funding to finance prophets because they honor the prophetic gifting. Almost all of their parliament are spirit-filled believers, and they're looking for the Daniels and the Josephs of our day. So we had the honor of being in a Budapest training prophets as governmental prophets to hear from God so that they can see a nation and see the people to release. And that's happening everywhere. We were in Sweden and South Africa and Australia, and every place that we went in Amsterdam, we saw the goodness of God and we saw pockets of revival and reformation breaking out and almost spontaneously. So the world is getting brighter and God is getting bigger. If we can even imagine how big he is, it's like, God, can you get any bigger? And he's like, well, what actually happens is your awareness of my bigness gets bigger. So we're seeing that happen all over the world. So we have reason to be encouraged because when we look outside of the perimeters of our border, and by border, I mean the constraints of our mind, because sometimes our borders are built by what we think is happening as opposed to what's really happening. And so what's happening outside of those borders is so much greater than we could have imagined. So as the people of God, as the church, you know, last week uh, I had this message turned to me about the kingdom and I was preaching on the advancing the kingdom of God and what that looks like and manifesting who Jesus is. Um, as mature sons and daughters, yes. we become ambassadors. We yes. become people that release his reign, his yes. overarching reign in the earth. Mm -hmm. We're the people of God. He's building his church and he's advancing his kingdom. These are, this is what the Lord is doing right yes. now. Um, how, how would you say in the local church or practically speaking, I mean, you know, my heart yes. for the presence of the Lord and equipping the saints and you know, being an apostolic wineskin and we're, we're challenged and we, to rise up and, and find out what God has called us to do in the world abroad. But as the people of God, how would you instruct prophetically where the body of Christ is now to begin to be aware of those, the glory of his presence so that we can get pushed out into the areas of ministry that God's calling us into? Yes, I think it, it centers with one, and you have this down pat because... I, I didn't have an awareness of this to the, de the degree that I did until I was blessed to sit under your leadership as a pastor and becoming aware of our identity in Christ, who we are, what we carry, the goodness of God. Because if we don't, if we have a dichotomy around that, then we won't be able to see the goodness of God. So when I can see the goodness of God, like face to face, see him, encounter him out of right identity, it causes me to see the goodness of God everywhere else around me because I can see the goodness of God. But like we sing that song that wrecks me, show me your face. And I could see his face. And something happens when we see his face, when we encounter a face, his face, we realize, oh my gosh, I look just like my father. <laughs> 
I look like the goodness of God on the earth. So everywhere I go, I reflect his goodness. So I can't help but to see the reflection of it. So when I see a city, no matter what condition it might be in, I can see the goodness for the city. When I see broken people, I'll never forget you preached a message and it was like, I don't see pimps and prostitutes. I see glorious sons and daughters. And that invites people to rise up. So we start with our identity and recognizing the goodness of God, I think, is a starting place. Wow. Wow is a Baptist speaking in tongues, by the way. Wow. So good. There's a lot of Baptists that speak in tongues. They're called Bapticostal, right? If you're Bapticostal, raise your hand. Any Bapticostals in the house? Okay. All right. Um, so good. I love, uh, man, I love that. I would love to just talk, unpack that a little bit more. Like our identity, seeing just that encounter with the Lord. You know, so many times I feel like we have replaced uh, the encounter with a lot of other things in the church. Um, and we'll even, for a need to disciple, we'll, we'll, we'll just get really busy with things but we're not relational or dynamic. We'll get static and rigid and, you know, and it's a program and it's not like a, a thing that, that we do because of who we are. Um, how do we, how do we, as the people of God, to see the community established the way he wants, fitly framed together, and the kingdom advance, get away from that striving religious mentality? Does that make sense? Can you speak into that for a moment? Do you really want me to? Yes. Okay. So the, the key way that we get away from that is beginning to love people the way God loves people. And we have to let go of the ideology, our idol, or the notion that people have to be a certain thing and at a certain place before we disciple them. Because we exhort so much energy in trying to get everybody saved. We got to get everybody. We got to save the world. And that's not our job. Jesus did that over 2,000 years ago. Sometimes we forget. So our job is not to save anybody. But our job is absolutely to love everyone. Wow. You want me to back it up with scripture? Okay, here we go. Thank you. I'm glad you did. <laughs> Jesus took 12, 12 men who weren't even Christians and discipled them by relationship. His, everything Jesus does is relational. It's not transactional. So Jesus was never trying to knock another peg on the wall or notch in his belt. He loved people only in the way that he could love because God is love. And so when we let go of this thing that we have to save the world because it's going to hell in a handbasket, which is an absolute untruth, that's my kind way of saying that's just a lie that's been fabricated to keep us busy doing something instead of actually being something, which is the glorified sons and daughters who are called to operate and function, function in the highest frequency on earth, which is love because God is love. And it's by our love that they will know because people are attracted to love. People are attracted to love. So when we can begin to love our neighbor as ourself, oh, there's a caveat. I can tell if you are, if you are secure in your identity as a son and daughter, in your identity and kingship,
in your identity as a mother or father in the earth by how well you love others. Because an insecure person doesn't have the capacity to love everybody else. They want to control because they feel out of control. Can I tell you this? The only two things that Jesus warned us against was the, the two leavens, right? There's this, stay away from the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of the um, Herod, which is the spirit of religion and the spirit of politics. So when we can disengage from the spirit of politics that rules and runs and is intertwined with the spirit of religion, when we can free our minds from the spirit of religion that wants to control everybody by, we got to get you saved. But we engage people with authentic love. I just love you because you belong to God. And they will be attracted to love and they will begin to want to walk with you and run with you. And we'll have, we don't have, we can stop chasing people because isn't that exhausting? So good. So what, what does it look like, it, like preaching the gospel, being you know, revealing who God is to the world around. So what you're saying is, obviously there's a place to evangelize, but it's not, we're not trying to get a notch on our belt. We're not trying to just put another name and oh, how many people I led to the Lord. I think sometimes we do these things, these religious activities because we don't know our own significance and we find them in all of these things. I mean, we do it in in the church too. We do it with our gifts, you know, whatever our gift is. Um, the gifts of the spirit, and then we become a solo and not a part of a symphony. It's a, but in 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 the community of God, like, and this has always been our heart. It, you know, it's interesting. Like Rashawn and I were just talking about this. We've been praying since we've been here. Lord, what do you want us to do in the city? We want to do some outreach stuff in the city. And then God brought Julie and her family here. Is she here today? Is Julie? I think she's here. I don't know. Julie Oakley, Agape. Haven of Abundance is her ministry. And we're honored to partner this, this month, the 23rd. We're going to do an outreach. You announced it already, didn't you? You didn't announce it. Okay. There, we announced it last week. There's flyers. Get a flyer. You need to sign up. We need your help. It's going to be amazing. We're doing a coat drive, blanket drive. And she asked us to help to do like the, the ministry aspect. But we didn't run ahead and try to reinvent the wheel and just get out there because we're obligated we are taking personal responsibility for the Great Commission, and we're yes. seeing what the yes. Father's doing, yes. Yes. and we're partnering with that. Yes. Yes. I mean, Jesus lived that way. Yes. I only do what I see the Father doing. Come on. Imagine if we live that way. Yes. Father, what yes. are you doing yes. so that I can partner with it? Yes. And this is what we're doing. Yes. And we're expecting 500 families. It's going to be incredible. We're going to preach the word. We're going to minister. I, I'm believing God for healing, signs, wonders. I mean, I, in the heart of the city, the Lord's just going to move mightily. Yes. And, yes. and there's a harvest. There's yes. a harvest. Imagine if we yes. didn't toil yes. and strive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the, the encounter, the idea that we encounter God, we encounter his love, we know who we are, we see him. And then we see one another through that same Come lens on. of love. Yes evangelism explodes through people that actually encounter Mm -hmm. the one that Mm -hmm. we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And, and so I, you know, um, on your journey, how is that? Like, how do you do that where you see what the father's doing and then partner? I mean, you've probably, you know, had situations where you ran ahead of the Lord in some ways. Mm -hmm. And, um, but to be in rhythm 
with his love and his grace. Yeah, and because I have had those situations and I found out how exhausting and debilitating it was and we didn't get far, it's like running through mud. And when we run ahead of God, it is like running through mud. And sometimes because we can see a little bit of fruit from it, we think we're really doing the thing, right? And that's not necessarily an endorsement of God, like this is what you're supposed to be doing, but it is just a, it's symbolic of his goodness, like bless you little girl, I'm, I'm gonna help you out till you get it together. <laughs> but in partnership, right, because this is what I've, I think I've discovered about God. And you'll hear me say things like I think a lot, and the reason I always phrase things with I think rather than a heart I know is because my thoughts about God are constantly expanding as our thoughts should because the same God that I got saved under is not the same God that I know today he's gotten better he's gotten more loving and more kind so that's changed my frame of reference so, so I think what have this is what I think when it is of God and we the kingdom invites it invites a collaboration it's no, it's, it's no uh, what is that word we like to use, competition in the kingdom. And so as a minister of the gospel, I can see what other people are doing. And I never want to go into an aspect of anything and think, oh, we, should, we could do that. We could do it better because we have more resources. We have more people. We have more, you know, influence or whatever. Let's do it better. No, the kingdom comes alongside and it partners so that how can I serve you so that what you're doing is better I don't want to do it better than you but I want to help you do it in such a way that it becomes better because I'm not here to shine and when dreams or visions PZ I think are from God it invites three things I'm uh, this is I'm fairly confident of is that when dreams and visions and things like that are of God it invites three things one is community because Jesus lived in community he operated in community when they were out fishing jesus didn't get in the boat with them he he showed them how to do it better he said hey you know if you cast your net to the other side he didn't say let me get in the boat because you don't know what you're doing and i'm jesus and i got all power and all the fish submit to me i could bring them on the shore if i want to but he showed them a better way in partnership with them so they were able to increase the haul he lived in community he did community with the people that he ministered to he didn't say let's open up a store right here so we can sell everybody a fish sandwich he said let's take what he has and let's build upon the little loaves and the little fishes and there was enough for everybody and then some left for them to take home he partners so it invites community and when we see community that's in a healthy infrastructure and it has healthy leadership what happens is this community then it lends itself to communion so as a community when we partner with agape house and they're feeding people we're helping to serve communion because we're breaking bread people are attracted to the fragrance of bread the bread of heaven I can't walk by a bread store when we were in Europe it was all the fresh baked bread everywhere and I was like I need to go home now because this is getting out of control because I enjoy food. And so it was like you're attracted to, it's almost like popcorn you, when you smell it and you're attracted to it. People are attracted to that. And there's, there's community that builds communion, that builds covenant relationship. And maybe that covenant relationship isn't necessarily with us. But it brings an awareness for people to know and understand, I can have a covenant relationship with the Lord.
So in those aspects, it begins to dream and build. And we partner with that so that we're working in harmony. We're working in symphony. I don't need to be the star of the show. I'm part of a whole band. So good. So good. I love this. I love this. So as a community of God's people, you know, man, I could bring, I could bring something up. I don't know if I want to bring it up, though. I kind of want to because I know you're going to keep it real, Help real, yourself. real. Help yourself. Help so, yourself. What would you say right now to people that just can't let go of offense? That's hindering that love? Because this is, this is a big deal. Oh, that's a whole big deal. So if you struggle with letting go of offense, is a couple of things that I've recently found out. Um, one is, it's a choice to hang on to it. People have to say, I need to be delivered from offense. And it's like, no, you have to let it go. Uh, because it's not a spirit, it's you. Oh, I know, I forgot we like to demonize everything in the church so that we don't have to take accountability for it. But after a while, we can't keep playing a scratch record and expect a sweet song. We have to change the record. And some of y'all may not be, oh, you know what, it, it's, it's, all, it's all the retro. So y'all know what a record player is. You got to lift the needle and flip the record. But what happens is this. And I was having a conversation with someone a couple of weeks ago, in fact, and they were like, you know, I, I can't, I'm struggling with unforgiveness, and I just want to forgive this person. And I said, are you sure it's unforgiveness? And they said, well, I'm, I'm like, because I was so, I said, I was so offended, and I said, see, that's the thing. You're trying to go around it by saying, I'm just, it's unforgiveness. And because unforgiveness and offense look alike, and they often intertwine, sometimes we have to forgive. Because sometimes we've confused being offended with unforgiveness. So sometimes the, re the way you can let it go is begin to forgive the situation. And then sometimes... You're pretending like, oh, I'm so offended by them. They just offended me. No, they did not. You have to take offense, which is why we say, oh, no offense, and we say none taken. I'm, they, I'm just so offended. Well, stop being offended. Because sometimes it's not for me. This is just for me. Y'all might operate differently in Rochester because y'all more saved than me. <laughs> Sometimes it's like, you know, it's like I'm so offended. I'm just like, you know what? It has to be taken. It's like I have to receive it and I have to hold it. And the reason I have to hold it is because as long as I'm offended, I'm right. So I have to work through offense to keep proving I'm right so I can continue to prove you're wrong. It doesn't work like that because proving other people wrong does not mean you're proving yourself right. It's just proving you're offended. So we got to figure out, God, if you're struggling with that, ask the Father, am I offended or am I retaining unforgiveness? Because I don't want to hold either one of those things. I want to let both the things go. And sometimes, oh, can we go here? Sometimes, oh, okay, this is for the grown folks. Sometimes, sometimes we like being offended. And we get addicted to what we like because we like what we're addicted to. And then sometimes I have never, can I go here? 
Okay, good. I have never in the history of history, and I'll be 60 years old next month. I know it's hard to believe it. Don't crack. And we get better with age. We keep it real. But sometimes I have not found a more offended people group than people in the church. I'm so, the, the church offended me. The church hurt me. I'm like, what, the building? Was it, what, was it the nursery room? Was it the bathrooms? Was it, what part of a building offended you? Because let's be honest, the church isn't hurting you. Oh, you mean the ecclesia. Okay, was it the whole body? Was it the choir? Was it the praise team? You didn't like that song this time because that wasn't your vibe? Because uh, that's not a, a, a praise problem. That's a heart problem. It, was it something the pastor said? Oh, well, then we might have to do an adjustment and see, as a minister, I know that there are some things that I might say that could strike a chord with you. Because some of y'all sitting here right now, and I ruffle some feathers, and it's okay because if you don't ruffle feathers, you can't fly. So if your feathers are ruffled, shake them up and get ready to soar because you're about to be lifted up on the wings of eagles. This is how we get somewhere because we can be transparent with our offense and our unforgiveness. So the question is not for me that when I've been ruffled, the question no longer for me is, why did they say that? The question is, God, why did that tap my heart? Why did I react to that? Because I'm not responding because we're called to be first responders, not first reactors. It, what, what inside of me did that trigger? Because there had to be a hook inside of my heart for that thing to snag on. And it's like, what well, was the way they said it? Well, well, how did they say it? Who did that? It reminded me of my dad when I was nine years old when he said this to me. Oh, so we have a father wound. You know, it reminded me of my old pastor when he said, oh, so you're holding offense and unforgiveness from a previous leader and you're still looking through a distorted lens and now father i need you to adjust my lens so i can see the people the way that you see the people so i can have a clear heart because when i can see through a lens clearly i can see oh you know what they're not against me, they're for me. They're not judging me, they're bringing loving correction. Because we throw judgment around in the church like it's snow on the first day. Woo, it's snowing. Oh, they're judging me. I feel so judged. <laughs> to help us as a body moving forward. And so before anybody gets in a weird idea like, Who's told her about me? Jesus? Oh, no. We don't have these kind of conversations between friends. We're friends, so they have not said anything about anybody in case the enemy tries to drop another seed of offense. It doesn't work like that. I hear from the Lord. I've been called a prophet, and it wasn't for play. But it's like what happens is so to bring to bring clarity and trust me i've been bringing this message for a long time in a lot of places the difference there's a difference between judgment and correction judgment is when someone sees you doing something wrong and they're like girl you know what you out here like a fool you look like bessie the boo-boo you got mm -mm. no, no no that's judgment correction looks like you know sweetie i don't know that that's the best look for you 
I think if we made an adjustment here, and you look so beautiful in harvest gold, fluorescent neon green is probably better served for the summer because when you're all tanned and out there, you look amazing in that. Right now, I think gold would look so much better. Let's try that. That's correction in love. It's not a personal attack. So we can't run the risk of personalizing correction. We can't run the risk of personalizing and looking through things through a filter that's distorted. So the Lord wants to change our lenses so we can see clearly. Because the fact of the matter is this. We don't see people as they are. We see people as we are. So good. <laughs> Putting away childish things. You know, it, it is... It's not easy being in relationship, marriage, family, like stuff happens. It's not easy. And I've learned, I remember early on when we started the church in Vegas, I'm like, Lord, bring all the broken people. We want to love broken people. And then three that months later, great. I'm like, why did I pray that? We're getting every offended person in the city. We're going to check out this new church. And... Uh, and through that, God taught me to love. Mm -hmm. He's still teaching me to love. Yes. But it's interesting. Like, I believe the Lord is, is forming a new wineskin, yes. fathers, mothers, yes. and family, yes. an apostolic wineskin yes. from just a mere pastoral one that just wants to. It, it's important that we love people yes. and their brokenness, yes. but they've got to rise up eventually. They've got to put away, they've got to mature. Yes. 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 And we can't coddle them. Yes. We've got to teach them not to think like victims anymore. Yes. And that's what grace does. It causes yes. us to rise up and mature and love yes. and overcome yes. instead of pull the church hurt card for every little yeah. snowflake that falls on us. Oh, yes. my God. And, and I love the honesty. And I've learned to be less offensive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I've learned to like see. And, and, and many times I've even lived my life in ministry where I'm wounded. Mm -hmm. And I'm living and preaching and trying to serve from wounds mm -hmm. caused from somebody else. Mm -hmm. And my past pain is manifesting in my future reality. Yes. But what I, I found to be true is that there is a place for spiritual foot washing for people that are legitimately wounded by domineering leadership, yes. by uh, wineskins that are not healthy. And, but then there's good, wholesome, pastoral wineskins that just love people. Yes. But then there's an apostolic, and people feel comfortable and they fit in. Mm -hmm. And in an apostolic wineskin, the one that God's forming, where do I fit in? Because I'm not just filling in a crack. I am being fit in the structure of community. Mm -hmm. And there's a difference. Yes. And the, the apostolic wineskin is one that prioritizes the presence of God. But I know that there, there's that struggle of like, where do I fit in? Yeah. Because I'm challenged to rise up. I'm challenged to let go of and put away these childish things. It's like, okay, I've been saved 25 years. And I'm just saying, you know, metaphorically, 25 years. How many people have I discipled? Who am I discipling now? Even if it's just one. Mm -hmm. Like, we can talk a good game in ministry and in church on the platform. Mm -hmm. But if we're not loving people and discipling people, yeah. Yeah. we need to take a step back. Yes. But I want to make sure... Like, if people don't fit in, okay, then maybe God's calling you to rise up and figure out yes. what it is that yes. the Lord's called me to do. Yes. And if it's a little uncomfortable, that's just the Lord 
that we all go through this chiseling us as living stones to be fit in the structure of community. I don't want to just fill in a crack Come on now. In, a, in an old wineskin. Yes. I want to rise up yes. and I want to see the church. I want to, I want to shepherd people. I want to love people, teach them, prophesy, fivefold ministry gifts, rising up people, the, the equipping of the saints for the edification of the body of Christ. What does that mature body look like? And so I feel like that transition is happening. Mm -hmm. It has been for decades, but there is, and this is why we see such a movement of worship and, and, uh, and value for the presence of God yes. and, and those, those realms of glory, yes. recognizable moments, you know, uh, and offense and all these things can numb us from recognizing yes. that type of anointing yes. and grace. Yes. And then we wrestle and we struggle. Um, would you speak into that a little bit? Is that making sense? Yeah, it does. And one of the things about having an apostolic grace is that what's attracted to you are people who also have apostolic grace. So it can be challenging, right? Because we don't fit in and we're, especially sometimes in community, we can feel kind of isolated or lonely, like I don't fill in with these people, where am I? And as a forerunner, as a trailblazer, you're generally a prototype. So it's a little bit more difficult for wow. you to see yourself within what's happening because you're a prototype and model for what is to come. So what we do is it's an invitation to rise up, even have conversations with, with people in leadership and say, you know what, this is, this is, I don't feel, I'm not, I feel out of place here. And we explore what's in your heart. What do you feel like you're called to do? Because the thing that you're holding on to that can feel like I don't fit in could be the very piece of the puzzle that's missing over in the East Wing. We can't finish the East Wing because the person who owes a piece to that is trying to squeeze into the West Wing. And so it's, it's about opening up your heart and your gifts. And sometimes in maturation, what we have to do is let go of the pick me mindset. Pick me, pick me, choose me, choose me. But as we mature, we say, I'm here. I'm teachable, I'm moldable. These are the things that are in my heart. These are the gifts that I hold. Is there any place that I can be effective in the house? And then don't get offended if they say, would you mind taking out the trash in the bathroom? Because that could be an immediate need. And it's like, I'm too gifted to vacuum. You don't know me. I'm out here vacuuming. Never mind. Sorry, Michelle. <laughs> we caught our vacuuming yesterday. But serving where you are, and I remember uh, a few months back, uh, I just was like, it felt like I was in a dry place, like, what is wrong, Jesus, what's going on? I can't, I feel like I can't breathe here, what's going on? And he said, you've reached your max capacity at this level. You need to come higher. And I was in my, in my, my prayer time, and I just saw myself elevating, and it was terrifying. Because as I elevated, I looked around, and there was nothing there. It was like I was in this white room, and I was like, oh, wait, is it like the mental? How, I don't, what's going on? Because you don't have to gauge my mind with Jesus. And he's like, no, this is the space that's waiting for you to occupy and you to create in partnership with me because you max capacity here. I have something greater for you to create on this level that the church has been waiting for because the church is waiting for you. 
All of creation again. is waiting in earnest expectation. So They're not, oh, Jesus, here we go. It doesn't say that creation is waiting for Jesus. It doesn't say it's waiting for God. It doesn't say it's waiting for Holy Spirit. It says it's, they're waiting. It's waiting for the sons and God, sons and daughters of God, of Christ to rise up to be manifest. And so when we rise up, we rise to the challenge, right? Then what the creation has been waiting for is waiting to partner with us to help advance the kingdom. So good. So good. Yes. What I love about what the Lord is doing is it's, it's like we're trying to find our significance. We try to find our significance in a title or platform or position, a spotlight, because we don't know our significance. Mm -hmm. But when we know our significance and we live in this, these value systems yes. of flattery yes. that makes us, and we think more highly of ourselves than we really ought to. Yep. But then when we're in this atmosphere of the presence of God, where he teaches us to love and let yes. go of things and yes. rise up and mature. And mm -hmm. it's like we learn to honor and esteem and we yes. see yes. who we are. And, yes. and the, the whole point of this is like, you are so significant, every single yes. one of you. And there are gifts in you that haven't come out yet because you haven't been in an environment of honor. And when you, maybe to a degree, but there's always more. Mm -hmm. And when we're baptized in the manifest presence of God, Come all on. the walls fall down. Come on. Our Come hearts on. are in it together. Yes. And we're praying for yes. church unity. Yes. We need to just yes. be baptized in the presence yes. of God. Yes. And that's yes. where we learn honor and yes. we learn our significance. Yes. And then we're not striving for it Come and all on. these other ways and things and religious mm -hmm. politics and and, and then we're not trying to be somebody because we know we're somebody. Yes, come on. Come and this is a whole, on. and you know, like I've been preaching this for a long yes, time. And so yes, have you, yes. um, and you live this, Tony, like, you know, I can't, I can't believe for all those years you were, you were so honoring to us as young leaders and you always postured your heart. I, I don't feel like you were ever in a place where familiarity bred contempt. Come on now. Mm -hmm. And you recognized when God manifested in a moment and you always yielded your heart to the Lord. And, and that's so beautiful. And I, I want to be like that. I want to, I want to be able to just, Lord, what are you doing in the moment? We want to yield to you. But when we don't know our significance, we don't feel like we fit in. We're always yeah. trying to do something. It's like, yeah. let's just, let's just come before the Lord yes. together. Yes. You know, yesterday we were talking about the moment, moments yes. of glory. Yes. How do we guard from familiarity. Can we close with this? Like if this is a place and I don't want you to flatter the ministry. I want you to be truthful. You know what yeah. God's doing mm -hmm. saying, if this is going to be a house where his glory manifests and it'll go from here to the nations, mm -hmm. if Rochester is marked for revival and we're a part of that, mm -hmm. how do we not, we don't, I don't want to become familiar when God yes. manifests in a way where it's holy yesterday before you preach, you're like, I don't know if you're accustomed to this, yes. but yes. God, there, this is a holy moment. Yes. Can you speak into that? And then we'll, yeah. and then we'll close this out. Yeah, I can. And I will. And, and I, but I think it's, I think I want to say this first, right? Um, why it's important to steward the presence, to steward your gifts, to steward your hearts, to honor your hearts. Um, because it, it's easy, it's easy to forget what we feast on here. And one of the things about um, in, in identity, right, when the children of Israel, when Moses led them out of Egypt, they had been slaves generationally. 
They had not known freedom. They didn't know what it was like to dine from their own table. They had to dine from the floors of Pharaoh's. And so when they left and they came into a place where God was restoring their identity as his people and bringing them back to themselves. And they had a space to create a culture and an environment that mirrored their true father. They weren't accustomed to that. And what happens is when we don't maintain that by the awareness of his provision, this is one of those things, right? Where they're not looking at God as providing for us daily. And there's not one thing that we asked for that he didn't give. When we even complain that we didn't have meat, he rerouted entire paths of birds and out of season to bring them to a season of feeding us, right? What happens is they begin to feast on familiar familiarity. They wanted to feed off of the food of slavery. Being offended, being unforgiven, being an orphan is a food of slavery. When we have an entire feast of the kingdom in front of us. And so when we can feast on that, it changes our dialogue, our internal dialogue, our external dialogue. Because all I want to do is eat off of the goodness of God, right? So when I leave here, will you want to know one of the ways that we can tell that our our identity is still being shaped and formed, and it will be until we exit because we're always growing, is what are you eating when you leave the house? When my kids were younger, my kids were younger, I had to do, I had to feed them everything, right? I had to, you know, feed them, then feed them, cook and feed them. But the older they got, the more responsibility that I was able to give them. So now my kids are... 26, 28, 30, and 32. Don't judge me. I had kids in elementary school. Just, yeah. I know. Everyone thinks that I'm their sister and I love it, but, you know, maybe not everyone is just me that thinks that. But now they don't have to come to me and say, Mama, can you make me some cereal? Mama, can you pour me some juice? They don't have to say, Mama, can I go in the refrigerator and get a soda? Mama, can I open the cabinets? Because they're mature, and I've entrusted what I put inside of them. And a mark of maturity is that now, because when they were younger, you know, they would see, I could cook a meal, and they're like, oh, I'm not hungry. Why aren't you hungry? Are you sick? Well, actually, they snuck off to McDonald's to eat crappy food before dinner. But now they appreciate home-cooked food mostly because they've learned to prepare it and they prepare it to serve so when i'm home my kids are like mama i'm making pasta would you like shrimp or you like chicken they're bringing their gifts to the table they're not feasting on crappy things because they're able they know i trust them with everything that i put inside of them I trust them that they won't burn the house down trying to make a hot dog. So they become more confident in their giftings because they're more confident in their, in their adulthood, in their maturity, and in their identity. So they're able now to bring feasts to the table that I didn't have to prepare. As God brings you into greater levels of maturity, sometimes we're offended at God because we're like, God's not can't hear him and I don't know what to do and God's like I have given you everything that you needed I have placed inside of you everything you have my voice you have my heart I trust what you 
I'm inviting you to something more. So we learn to feast differently. What are you eating when you leave the house? An offended person will leave a house and everybody else will be like, oh, that was good. That message of worship was fire. An offended person was like, but they were off on the keyboard. But then why did he say this? When you hear that coming out of you, I'm going to invite you to pause and say, Father, there's an area of my heart that you're inviting me to engage in a maturation process. I don't want to believe anything about myself that you do not believe. Show me the truth about me. And sometimes we're afraid to see that because we don't see ourselves as God see ourselves. We see us as we see us. And God's truth doesn't look at our truth. And God's going to be like, you're so immature, you're underdeveloped. God is like, this is, I see you as beautifully and whole and unbroken and unshattered with intrinsic value and immeasurable worth. And I see you as priceless and beautiful and golden. And it changes the way we see ourselves. So we ask him, Father, don't allow me to see myself in any way that you don't see me. And we go a little bit deeper. Father, don't allow me to see you in any way that you don't see yourself. So if I have a father wound or a God identity issue, when I can see him for who he is, I see myself for who I am. God, don't allow me to believe anything about you that you don't believe about you. Because when I can believe about you what you believe about you, I'll believe about me what you said about me. And when I believe and I operate from that standpoint in that place, everything begins to change. Who I am changes. It begins to produce generational changes. Something was different with Joshua and Caleb because they didn't see God as Pharaoh. They saw him for who he is. And that's why when they went into the land, they said, we're able. They didn't shrink back and said, we are as grasshoppers. They said, no, we're able. When we see the truth for what it is and the truth looks a whole lot like Jesus. When we see that we rise up in our ability. We rise up in responsibility. Responsibility is responding to the ability that God has placed inside of us. It's not reacting to the disability, which is the dislocation and disjointed or disgruntled or dis anything disconnected from my ability. I'm choosing to respond to the ability that the Father has placed in me. And in this coming season, what is about to happen and what is actually happening in the moment in this community, it's going to take the community to come in communion, to lock your hearts in covenant engagement. As we were worshiping and right as before Zach said, take the hand of the person next to you. And I looked, I looked to this side and I saw water coming through the door. 
and it began to rise and it was coming like from the north and the east simultaneously and it was rising and was rising and was rising like a like a like a tidal wave or tsunami coming through the house and then Zach begins to talk about that Toronto blessing and I was like oh my heck that's why it's coming from the north and the east because it's what happened there is happening here and what's happening here is going to change the region before I came I began to pray and say God is there a word for the house and he said there's a word for the region and if the house gets the word for the region it, it, it impacts the house because the house is not just designed to be influential it's designed to be impactful because you can have influence and not have an impact and if you have impact, it'll partner with influence. And what I begin to ask the Father, what is your heart for this region? What is your heart for Rochester? And he began to remind me of back in the day when there's a history of revival in this city. This city was the birthplace of and, and a partner of the second great awakening. Something significant was marked here. And I don't care what we've been taught to believe, I think that revival is not supposed to end. It is supposed to continue to grow and to build, but it has to lend itself to something. And there is revival in the midst of you. And this revival is designed to reform the region because revival that does not partner and lend to reformation will cause a spring to dry up because it has nowhere to go out. Revival sends out. Revival waters around it. Do you all know that the original purpose and intent for this region is one of innovation and ingenuity? It is one of technology. It's rooted in there. Right here, you guys are sitting on a secret. You have the history of film, of Eastman Kodak, and all these technological advances that have been made, microscopes and things that were developed and birthed out of here. And what that tells me is this is a region that is original intent by the Father was to bring forth the vision. Why do we take a picture? Because we want to capture an image. We need something to look at. When I look at a family photo, it marks a moment. I see, when I see a beautiful family photo, it's like that marks something it's a model it's a prototype of something that I can look at and I can look forward and I can look to that is one of the markers of the original intent of this region is because of that innovation God said they're designed to be an image of heaven on earth they're designed to bring forth the imagery of what healthy community looks like and healthy reformation looks like And while it's no longer being captured by Eastman Kodak as his work, it's being captured by you because you bear the image of the Father and he's inviting you to rise up in that very image and you to go out and you are to tell a vision. Your life is telling a vision because if we look at the television, what the television, the vision that the television is telling is negative. But when the body rise up is the express image it tells a different vision there is ingenuity that is being unlocked there is new technology advances that is being unlocked but it's being unlocked in the kingdom 
and it's bringing reformation. What happens when something is revived is brought back to life. There is a life force that's being awakened in this region and it is going to reform this area and it won't stay in this area and might being reformed it's being reformed remodeled into the original intent of the father for this region and he showed me something and I need y'all to stay with me just stay with me he showed me something and I saw it, it was like an invisible line a barrier I was like what, what's what's this going on here it was a crack it was a fundamental crack and it was going down to the ground and, 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 and I wasn't sure what it was and it began but my heart began to ache around it I was like father what is this crack and why is my heart aching he said because my heart is aching because there has been this invisible marker and this invisible barrier between the ethnos within this region it's like Rochester is a city that's divided into different cities and there's a line that can be crossed and he began to talk to me about the underground railroad <laughs> And he said, let's look down into the crack. And I look what looked like a train. And I was like, oh, is it the sub? They don't have a subway there. And he's like, that was spiritually symbolic of my intent for Rochester to be a bridge that would bring the ethnos together. The Underground Railroad served one purpose to bring slaves into freedom. And this city is designed wow. to be a city of freedom for every color, every race, and every creed. But that has to be modeled in the kingdom so when we say let your kingdom come let heaven come now we're modeling what that looks like which means we have to close the gap and we seal it up and we stand and we lock hands with our neighbors on all sides because there's people that are waiting on the other side of the gap for what you have to offer and he's bridging the gap and he's bringing two communities if not three into one and this region will be known for mirroring heaven in every aspect in every way in every method and I thought it was not a coincidence that we came here Friday night and I was tired because I've traveled this entire year I have only been home at the longest 22 days at one time this year but it's primarily I've been home four days at a, at a time this year 22 was one particular stretch but and I was like oh I'm so tired we don't have to go anywhere we can stay we can stay in but we came because worship was happening here and I saw you having this beautiful worship experience that was releasing a sound that could be considered cultural but I was here in this place and God was saying this is where it starts it's a unified worship and a unified voice and I'm blending sounds and I'm bringing together a harmony and out of this house will come a people that will be known for the way that they love their neighbors there's a greater measure of love that is happening here and there's a greater level of prophetic folks that are being drawn in because there's been a greater level of advancement and increase in an apostolic and the apostolic and the prophetic must partner together so as the apostolic is increased so is the prophetic come on 
and I could prophesy the roof off, but if I don't have love, I just believe every Sunday there's going to be a greater and greater river of love running through here that will be and you'll be invited to be immersed into to be baptized to and I believe that the day is coming and it's coming soon because this sanctuary over here is about to almost be too small it won't stay empty long because what's happening will cause it to be doubled in size but I'm inviting you all today to catch the vision for the city for the community for the house and to open up your hearts to lock in and engage with covenant with God for your region and how will I partner with heaven how will I partner with my house to bring heaven to the region to it expresses the direct image of what the father's original intent was for our community and this will be known as a city without a political agenda without a religious motivation this will be known as a city of love people say Philadelphia who <laughs> Rochester yeah. the city of love Wow, come on.